Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Ah. So out of all these lip sync competitions, the one I was most nervous about was that man's right there. Oh, my word. So, uh, gosh, where do you begin? How do I follow an act like that? That was incredible. <laughs> that was probably the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Okay, where do I start, seriously? All right, let me, let me start here. How about giving you a heads up as to what's coming in our sermon series? Today, we obviously started a new four-week series called Lip Sync, and uh, uh, we're talking about faking it, how a lot of us as Christians fake it. We're talking about being real with God, being real with yourself, being real with others. We're focusing in on transparency, one of our core values here at Grace Church. It's about being real with God, being real with others. So, of course, we thought, why not have a little fun with it, right? And we did, obviously. So let, we said, let's do some lip sync battles. And um, I think it was fantastic or mentally scarring, depending on how religious you are, okay, to be blunt. Uh, the, the battle next week is between Sean Farrell and Becky Standridge. It's going to be awesome. So you don't want to miss it. Starting February 8th, um, after this lip sync series, Pastor Chris is going to, he's going to start a series called uh, Advance. You know, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, focusing in on the movement of the first church in the book of Acts. And then starting uh, March 8th, I'll be starting a study through the book of Esther. So that's a little bit of where we're going this year with our sermons. It's going to be an amazing year with a lot of powerful messages from the Word of God. And I'm super excited about how God's going to speak to us as a church and how God is going to speak to you as individuals. So I believe, honestly, I believe this is going to be the most powerful year for Grace Church yet. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. So today as we, as we start part one of this Lip Sync series, I'm going to be talking about living our spiritual lives at a whole nother level. Okay? The level of being real. The level of being real with God, with others, and the level of being real with yourself. I believe the greatest challenge facing our church, the greatest challenge facing us as individuals is the disease of fake Christianity. Far too many Christians are faking it. Just going through the motions, pretending they have it all together, pretending they have it all figured out. It's it's in the pulpits, it's in the pews. There's far too many inconsistent, unreliable, fickle Christians. Inauthentic Christianity manifests itself in many ways. And in this, ser- in this series, we're going to examine a few of those manifestations. We're going to look at, at, at why it's so easy for our relationships to be marked more by deception rather than honest dialogue. We're going to talk about misguided Christians who hide heartache and grief behind a smiling mask and I'm doing good. We're going to look at those of us whose jobs are more about drudgery rather than meaningful labor or obsessions rather than professions. You see, Christianity is meant to be a supernatural walk with a living, dynamic, speaking, personal God. So why then do so many Christians live inconsistent 
powerless lives. A whole nother level of Christianity begins with being real with God. Being real with yourself. Being real with others. Authentic Christianity is a vital daily relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know, a vital relationship with Jesus, it takes time. Not leftover, throwaway time, but quality time for solitude and contemplation and reflection. And in this series, we're going to discover what it means to live authentic lives, being real. Living authentic lives as devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the sermon this morning. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for Grace Church. Thank you for this family of God. Thank you for my dad, who is just amazing. (laughs) And thank you for Reelan, who is also amazing. And just thank you that we can, um, man, we can just be real and authentic and just have fun. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this message. I pray that it would really inspire, convict, and um, man, you would penetrate hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we, we dive in, to solutions about how to be real and how to be authentic, I believe it's critical that we understand the problem. We need to understand why this relationship that we talk about having with Jesus is so critical. Because I've heard many people put it, and that's just, like, it's so easy to say the answer is Jesus. I've heard it referred to as a Jesus Band-Aid. I've heard it referred to as, like, let's just um, all follow Jesus, you know. What does that mean? Why are we talking about this? We need to understand why this relationship with Jesus is so critical. As I've stated many times, the problem is always sin. The answer is always Jesus Christ. So so let me ask, why is sin such a big problem? Maybe, Maybe you don't even believe that sin is the problem. This morning, I want to dive into this a little bit deeper, the I want to dive into the belief that we as Christians share that sin is the problem. You see, far too often, God is the one that gets the blame. We, we raise our fist at God, we curse God, but it's actually sin that is the problem. Sin is what keeps us from living at a whole nother level. You know, everyone agrees that something isn't right on our planet. We all know this. Something just isn't right. You see, God created a perfect world. He created a sinless world, a perfect state. And God declared everything that he created to be good. And this state of perfection is referred to in the Old Testament as shalom or peace. You know, even people who don't even believe in the Bible desperately desire for shalom here on planet Earth. We as humans... We're created as the image bearers of God. And deep down we know things aren't supposed to be this way. Like, why is this, why is this world so jacked up? But no matter how many counselors we see, how much money we spend, how many presidents we elect, how many books we write, how many organizations we start, how many pills we take, how many tears we cry, no matter how many wars we win, Suffering, injustice, evil, sickness, pain, failures, boredom, miseries, and death. 
continue on. Why? Why? It's because of the fall. The fall? Yeah. The fall. So what is the fall? Genesis chapter 3, church, is probably one of the most important chapters in your Bible because it explains the source of all the pain and all the misery. In Genesis chapter 3, we read how mankind became the traitor race. We rebelled against God with the first sin. It was foolish, it was tragic, and the consequences continue to this day. Remember in the Garden of Eden, remember it was perfect, it was beautiful, It was made by God for Adam and Eve to live in. There was no sin. There was no consequences uh, because of sin. There was no death. And God gave Adam and Eve complete freedom to enjoy everything that he created. God gave only one rule. See, he's, he's always blamed as being a God full of rules. He only had one, one rule. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was forbidden. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the entrance of the serpent. The serpent is Satan. And this, friends, is the beginning of chaos. If you remember, Satan tempted Eve to mistrust God's word by changing its meaning. Instead of rebuking Satan and fleeing, Eve stayed and played. She entertained the lies of Satan. She was ultimately deceived By his trickery, Eve chose to believe Satan over God. She chose pride over humility. And when she ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she sinned. She crossed the line. She sinned against God. She openly did what God had told her not to do. If you remember, while this was happening, we tragically read that Adam, he stood there and he did nothing. Sound familiar, fellas? He was silent. He failed to lead his family in the ways of God. He failed to do what God had created him to do. He was supposed to lead his family and humbly serve God. Adam joined his wife in sinning against God, and it brought shame, it brought distrust, and it brought separation between Adam and Eve, and it also brought separation between them and God. They hid from God and covered themselves. This is something humans have been doing ever since, hiding and covering, faking it. This was the fall of mankind. And as a result, sin and chaos have continued relentlessly ever since. Everything was cursed. That's why it's so stressful and painful to live on this earth. Troubles and earthquakes, conflict among the nations, the reality of war, internal battles, relational stress. Because of sin, respect changed to rebellion. Peace changed to chaos. A clear conscience changed to guilt and shame. Trust changed to fear. Love changed to hate. Freedom changed to being a slave to sin. Honesty changed to lying. Self-sacrifice changed to self-centeredness. 
responsibility changed to blaming everyone else. Intimacy with God changed to separation from God. You see, only God can bring true peace. Only God. And when we as humans, we chose to rebel against God, we chose to give God the middle finger, and we sinned against Him, a relationship was broken with a holy, righteous, perfect God. So so if sin is the problem, what is it? What, What is sin? What is it? The Bible refers to sin in many different ways. And it uses many different images to explain sin. For for example, the Bible refers to sin as rebellion. It refers to sin as folly, self-abuse, madness, treason, death, hatred, spiritual adultery. It refers to sin as missing the mark, idolatry, insanity, pride, selfishness, blindness, a hard heart, a stiff neck, delusion, unreasonableness, and self-worship. Sin is a broken relationship. Sin is a legal transgression against a holy God that must be punished. Sin is also passed from one generation to the next because because we sin, we have death. The New Testament tells us that sin is missing the mark. It's it's expressing the idea that no matter what we do, we always fall short. We, We never measure up. It also tells us that sinning means to trespass. Okay, it's the idea that we crossed the line of God's law. He said, don't cross this line, and we crossed it. Sinning in the New Testament also refers to evil intent. It's someone who's disobeying God, knowing full well what they're doing, knowing full well that they're sinning against God. They're doing it on purpose. And lastly, the New Testament calls sin ungodliness. This is referring to people who act as if there was no God, and they act as if they were their own God. That's sin. You know, and some of you may be thinking like, who cares? <laughs> Who cares? What, what does this all mean? I want us to understand that sin includes our thoughts, it includes our words, our actions, our motives. Sin is ignoring God and living as if there were no God. Sin involves turning good things like sex and work and money and rest into something that is worshipped in place of God, and ultimately it becomes a false God. Many of us compare our sin to others, right? We think, man, I'm better than he is. I don't gossip as much as she does. And it leads us to the false notion that maybe we can be good enough. It leads us to the false hope that maybe when I stand before God, my goodness will be good enough. 
Church, the reason why I'm saying all of this is because I want every single one of us to understand that you are not good enough. I want you to understand that God sees people in two different categories. He sees perfection and He sees imperfection. Any sin is a violation of the entire law. Sin is sin to God. We can't compare our sin to each other. We have to compare our sin to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we all fall short. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. You cannot, cannot be good enough. The problem is sin And that's why our world is so jacked up. So so what is the solution? What's the solution to the problem? What's the answer to the problem? The answer to the sin problem, the answer to our fallen state, is Jesus Christ. All right, let me me just say, if, if you were God and your creation betrayed you, what would you do? Would you act in grace towards the sinners they were by pursuing them, by speaking to them, by teaching them, by covering them, by promising that you would come to suffer and die at the hands of them for their salvation? Do you see where I'm going? This is the craziest story ever. This amazing story of God shows that no one could have ever invented it or dreamt it up because God does what no one could have ever predicted. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were promised the coming of Jesus Christ. He would be harmed by Satan, but Jesus would ultimately crush Satan and bring salvation to the world. God was gracious to Adam and Eve, even though they sinned against him. God came to them. He called out to them. He promised his Messiah, and he even lovingly clothed Adam and Eve to protect them. God also lovingly banished the couple from the Garden of Eden and from the Tree of Life so that they wouldn't live forever in a state of sin. The story of God is so amazing. I want to ask, how how did God deal with our sin? How did God deal with it? God came in the form of Jesus to save us from our sins. Check out Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And he did this by succeeding where the first Adam failed. Okay, Adam failed miserably. But Jesus came to save us from our sins. He succeeded where the first Adam failed. 1 Corinthians 15.45 tells us about that. And God, He offers forgiveness and reconciliation by grace. Even though He is the offended party. You know, we've all sinned against Him. Yet He came to save us all. He died in our place. He died in my place. He died in your place. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. He rose 
for my salvation. He rose for your salvation. When Jesus was was hanging on that cross, you see God is holy and righteous and perfect. And sin, it ticks him off a little bit. He has some wrath towards sin. And when Jesus was hanging on that cross, the wrath of God towards sin was fully satisfied. It was fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. The penalty for our legal transgression against God was paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. We as humans are bent to do great evil. And we all know this isn't the way the world should be. So by understanding the fall of mankind and our state as sinners, we understand that we're totally depraved. We're depraved. We can't do it. Sin is the root of the problem with our life and with the world. And by understanding the work that Jesus did on the cross, we begin to realize the depth of God's great love for us. And through faith in Jesus Christ, He does a work in us, church. He does a work in us and He restores us to a holy state from which we have fallen. So when God looks down on Justin Ross, there is nothing holy, righteous about him. He sees sin. I am imperfect. But when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as a 13-year-old boy, Jesus came and the Holy Spirit indwelt me. The blood of Christ covers me. And now when God looks at Justin, he sees perfection. Not because of Justin, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus. And now, in God's eyes, I'm perfect. Not because of me, but because of Christ. Only because of Christ. The next question should be, what do we do with our sin? Okay, I've, I've made the decision to follow Jesus, or I'm, I, I want to make the decision to follow Jesus, but what happens after that? What do we do with our sin after we've been saved? Because we all know, and even though we're saved, we still sin. And because God is holy, He must deal with sin. So God has chosen to show us kindness. He's chosen to forgive us and to restore us to that place of righteousness. And God wants you to know that you were created for more than sin. He expects more from you. He expects more from me. Our response to sin after salvation is deep, sincere, true, broken, devoted, tearful, prayerful, and humble repentance. Repentance is what we do with our sin after we've been saved. Repentance is a wonderful gift given to the children of God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can repent. So I encourage you, church. I encourage you, individual. I encourage you, friends. Be quick to repent. And I want you to rejoice in the fact that you get to. And I encourage you to repent for God's glory, for your joy, and for others' good. Repentance. What is that? It's dealing with those dark, black corners of your heart that only you know about. And it's confessing it to God. In some cases, with a trusted brother or sister in the Lord, it's confessing it to them. 
And I know many of us have a very difficult time opening up those doors of our heart. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely trying. It's, it's, for some, it seems impossible. But I believe that living at a whole nother level begins by being real with God. That's where it begins, church. You have to be real with God. I wanted to start this series by clearly identifying the problem, which is sin. And I wanted to start this series by clearly pinpointing the answer to the problem, which is Jesus Christ. So the first step to getting real with God is to admit that you need Him. You can't save yourself. You're not good enough. You need Jesus Christ. So humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't let pride keep you from following Christ. Humble yourself and ask Him. Ask Jesus to deliver you from your sin, to deliver you from yourself, to deliver you from Satan and from the curse of death. Ask Jesus to be your God. How do you do this? Ask Him. Ask Him. It's a relationship. Ask Him to save you. Make the decision to follow him. And, and let me just say, it's not just an emotional commitment. It's a life commitment to follow Jesus Christ. When should you do this? Right now. Today is the day of salvation. And after you make the decision to serve the Lord, I believe the best thing you could do is to tell someone. Okay? Tell the friend who invited you to church today. Tell your small group leader. Tell your spouse Tell Grace Church, okay, by filling out this Grace information card. Um, just mark, I, today I decided to follow Jesus Christ. Tell somebody. Tell someone that's going to celebrate with you and encourage you in your journey of faith. And after you place your faith in Jesus, the Bible says to be baptized as a way of going public with your faith, as a way of identifying yourself with God. And then the Bible encourages you to commit to God's church. Okay, Commit to a place where you'll be encouraged, edified, challenged, and a place where you will be prepared for the work of ministry. So following, obeying, surrendering, repenting, and serving Jesus is the only way that we can live our lives at a whole other level. It's the only way. It's the only way that we can stand before God and be perfect is through Jesus Christ. I want to I end the sermon this morning by encouraging you to consider a very practical application. You know, when it comes to being real with God, when it comes to being real with yourself and with others, sometimes the best thing that you can do is to put it in writing. Sometimes it's hard to verbalize. It's, it's like extremely scary to think about talking to someone about that dark corner in your heart. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just get it on paper, to write it out, put it in writing. I just want you to consider with me for a moment the discipline of journaling. Journaling, the daily process of examining and evaluating your life in written form. Now, before you totally tune me out or notch this up as something only little girls do, hear me out, please, okay? Remember, we're talking about being authentic 
We're talking about being real with God, with yourself, with others. Something we as Christians are not very good at. When I first heard the idea of journaling, I thought it was ridiculous. Okay, I thought people who had the time for journaling were not like me. They didn't have my schedule. They didn't live with my kind of pressure. Um, but I had to admit, I had to admit that too often in my life, I repeated the same mistakes again and again and again. Too often, I went to bed with regrets about my actions. Too often, I made decisions that were inconsistent with my professed values. And in a moment of honesty, I realized I was living under the oppression of an unexamined life. Seriously, I mean, a lot of you are wearing football jerseys this morning. After every game on Sunday, a football team watches film on Monday. And they do post-game analysis. They go over every play of the previous game so that they can learn from their mistakes and not repeat them in the next game. I'm just submitting the idea to you this morning that journaling is simply doing post-game analysis. Like, how, how can I expect to be conformed to the image of Christ without evaluating my mistakes, without evaluating my progress? How, how do I grow without evaluating my character, my, my decision-making, my marriage, my ministry, my, my parenting? So I made the decision to start a life journal. Call it whatever you want, just don't call it a diary, okay? I started a life journal. This personal commitment, honestly, has proven to be invaluable for my personal life, has been invaluable for my ministry. Journaling has also helped to slow me down. Life is just, it's, it's getting out of control, folks. It's getting so fast. And sometimes we just got to slow down, and it helps me to focus on the previous day and to think about what God is doing in my life. It helps me to slow down so I can hear God's still, small voice. Church, I, I strongly encourage you as individuals to take up the discipline of journaling. So I want to ask, where do you start? Maybe the idea of looking at a blank sheet of paper, maybe that freaks you out. But let me just offer a few suggestions, okay? Just start by writing one page a day. And let me give you a hint. The smaller the journal, the less you have to write, okay? Brilliant. Okay, that was an awful hint. I want to encourage you to start, start your page out with the word yesterday, okay? Just start with yesterday and write about the highs, write about the lows, Write about the decisions that you made, description of people that you met, your thoughts or your feelings that you had, what you learned, you know, in your Bible reading that day. And after it's been written down, then you need to take some time to analyze it. Like, were your decisions good or bad? Did you use your time wisely? What, what could you have done differently? Were you authentic in the way that you lived your life? You might ask other questions like, what's the next step for my family? 
what's, what's my next step in ministry? What's my next step in my vocation or in, in the development of my character? So, so the challenge to you, church, this morning is twofold. First of all, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one today. You need to. Jesus is the only way. Make the decision to follow Jesus. Remember, it's not an emotional commitment. It's a life commitment to follow him. So follow Jesus with your life and then tell someone about that decision. That's my challenge to you if you're here this morning without Christ. Secondly, I would challenge you, Christian and non-Christian alike, to start a life journal. And I am so serious about this idea. I asked Keith to order me some journals that we're going to give away at the end of the service. And you can tell by the size how much Keith writes in his journal. Okay? That's really small, Keith. Um, but if you're, if you're serious this morning about committing to that idea of, of starting a, a journal, starting a life journal, um, after the service is done, I want you to just walk to the, to the welcome desk and just ask them for one, and we're going to give them away until we run out. Uh, but, man, start today. Start just writing prayers down. I've, I've done all kinds of different things. Like sometimes I'll just pick a psalm in the Bible and write it out. Uh, different acronyms to help me pray. It's an idea book. You know, when an idea comes to my mind, I write it down so I don't forget about it. Over time, I believe by using this tool, it's just a tool, just an idea I wanted to share with you, you'll become more skilled at recognizing God's answers to your questions. I believe we serve a God who speaks. and He's speaking to us all the time. I think the problem is, is we're not listening. We're not paying attention at all. We're clueless. So this helps us to recognize God's answers to our questions. I believe you'll remember more ideas. I believe you'll gain more insights. And those moments of inspiration, you're like, oh man, I can't forget this. You won't forget it because you're going to write it down. Church, the, the problem is always sin. And the answer is always Jesus Christ. So make the decision to follow Jesus. Make the commitment to use this tool of journaling to examine your life. Make, make some decisions, man. Let's move forward as individuals. Let's move forward as a church. And you have to start by being real with God. That's where you have to start. Let's stand this morning, and as the band makes their way up for a closing song, I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. I want to thank you for offering forgiveness and reconciliation by grace. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, in our place, paying the penalty for our sins and, and rising again for our salvation. Holy Spirit, we know that we are bent to do great evil because we're sinners. But I pray our response to sin would be deep, sincere, true, broken, devoted, tearful, prayerful, and humble repentance. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the great gift of repentance. And Lord, by taking the time to evaluate our lives and in the effort to learn from our mistakes, I pray that you would help us as a church to live at a whole 
another level. We love you, Lord. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus because it's by that name we are saved. Amen.